my uh, I had my uh, eyes dilated. My oh, eyes are no. dilated right now. Are you wearing those Don Knotts sunglasses? Uh, I don't have any. It's just we just have good dim lighting in here. I don't have any sunglasses on, but I was uh, officially diagnosed with something called computer vision syndrome. <laughs> that's like the whitest <laughs> thing you can have. That's what I. That's what I have. So that's uh, the saddest thing. Yeah. So the official. So the uh, optometrist's official medical suggestion <laughs> was I su- should follow the twenty twenty rule. So every twenty minutes that I use the computer, I should put. This is a hundred percent serious medical advice i should uh put my head down in my hands and cover my eyes and just just look into darkness for about 20 seconds just hang my head in shame (laughs) oh my god that's awful you could do that if you had like a 96 hour day that would work out fine yeah he asked me i was so funny he so he like my eyes are dilated and he's trying to he was like i was i have like glasses and i was complaining that i had eye strain or whatever and he's like uh do you spend a lot of time looking at computers and there was just a long pause, and I was like, I think, I think the answer to that would be yes. Yeah, I, I had a similar thing where I've got, eh, you know, okay, crappy vision, slight astigmatism. And at one point, <laughs> they were like, so tell me, do you spend a lot of time looking at the computers? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of like what I do for everything. And like, well, you know, because of course, Falkhorn Leghorn is my opponent. <laughs> I say, I say, Merlin. <laughs> Is there a way you could spend less time looking looking at the computer? But what they said was, your problem is, is, is your muscles are all screwed up because you're focusing too much at this one point a certain distance from your face. Mm. And that you should, uh, I think the advice, this is not medical advice, but I think the advice was you should look at, occasionally look at somewhere off in the distance to make your muscles not like, this is a medical term, latch on to that particular length from your eyes. Merlin, that's computer vision syndrome. You have it too. Oh my goodness! I've been diagnosed. This is sad. Oh my goodness. Well, should we should we uh, should we introduce our our listeners to Top Chef and and talk a little bit about why we're why we're here doing this Top Chef podcast? Is this the show? I think this is the show. I think this is it. Hi, how's it going, Max? <laughs> it's going well. Good week. Great week. Okay, I would I totally agree. Uh, I think we should introduce our uh, listeners. Sure. Well, how so? I know uh, I Merlin. I listen to. I think I listen to every single podcast that you do, which is now it's a it's a it's a good number of podcasts. Uh, they help me a lot in my life, and I've listened to them for a long time. And uh, recently, I, I've definitely heard you talk on a couple of different programs about your love of Top Chef. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my history with uh, reality TV in general is is pretty spotty. Um, there's really two and a half shows I watch. I love Project Runway. Uh, I love Top Chef. <laughs> I recently, start, I'm not sure why, I've started watching something called Shark Tank, which oh is a, a terrible, terrible show. But uh, Project Runway and Top Chef are two shows my wife and I latched onto uh, quite a while back. And I think I love them because people make stuff on them. It's, it's more than just, just the drama. Uh, but those two shows, and, and now I've got a, an eight-year-old kid, and we watch them all together. And it's a lot of fun. Well, I came to, I remember very clearly how I found Top Chef, which was when I was, I think when I was in high school, uh, we had Bravo as part of the, you know, I don't know, the basic cable package that my parents had. And Bravo, there was a period in the history of Bravo where they just showed a lot of West Wing out of order. But it was the only way for me to watch West Wing because this was like pre the show being out on DVD. And then occasionally Bravo's other big show was Top Chef. So, you know, occasionally they would break from the West Wing and you'd see some Top Chef. And I I uh, I really got into it. And I think, uh, you know, now I have um, a big interest in food and cooking and, um, 
you know, I don't know if uh, uh, I travel to places to like go eat at, at crazy restaurants. And I think a lot of that came from uh, watching Top Chef and really identifying with, with the people on the show and the creative struggle on the show. And so that's so interesting how we in a previous age would find things accidentally just by flipping around. So your initial interest was serendipitous. It wasn't just because you liked reality, reality TV or cooking per se. No. And I, so in fact, I'm very skeptical of reality shows. Uh, and there's, this is, this is, uh, stop me if this gets like too, too boring, but there was like one of the very early, uh, reality shows, I think in the air, like survivor era, was a program called on Fox called American High, where they followed, it was sort of documentary style, and they followed these high school students around, and that was shot at my high school, at Highland Park High School in Highland Park, Illinois. And this was slightly before my time in high school, but, you know, be, watching it on TV and then going to the high school, I really got a feeling for, like, the artifice and the way that drama gets edited into reality TV. And that show was also inventing a lot of those tropes. So the idea of giving contestants a camera that they would talk into, I'm pretty sure was invented um, on that show. Um, but the, the it, it just, I don't know, it just sort of, it, it, it just was a, it was a very weird introduction to the genre of, like, immediately seeing the contrast of, you know, what was real versus what was on the TV. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, there, there came a point, uh, I don't know, at some point after the success of Survivor where, I don't know, there was a variety of probably market conditions, cultural conditions, but, you know, obviously a lot of networks and production houses realized uh, that you could produce these shows that people would watch for, you know, a fraction of what it costs to put on a scripted, you know, fictional show. So, I mean, I, I, I happen to think reality show gets a bad rap for a reason. Most of it is like voyeuristic garbage. Um, but, but on the other hand, uh, I think, I think anytime that you get involved in a universe and a story and a world, you know, there's these moments of buy-in and there's this idea of like, what little world do I want to go live in for a while? And, you know, not only is it tolerable, is it something that I can enjoy and follow and what level of engagement works for me? So um, on the one hand, I, you know, I, I don't want to sound too snooty about it. I don't love a lot of reality shows. It's just that most of the time when it's done well, a show like Project Runway, or in this case, Top Chef, works for me because I, I have bought into the idea. I know it's, I know a little bit about how these shows are made, and I know there is a lot that is done from a production standpoint to increase the drama and to make it more than just a bunch of people cooking on TV. But I'm bought into that world, and I, and I, I enjoy it. And even, I actually have to say, I think it's a lot like pro wrestling, where, you know, <laughs> you, well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's so funny to me when people can, can, like, follow politics with so much seriousness. And I'm like, how can you not see that this is just pro wrestling on a different channel? It's like it's a different kind of storytelling and drama, and you love the face, and you hate the heel, and you buy the shirt. And it's, it's not really that different. I mean, you know... <laughs> I guess people aren't protesting about pro wrestling. And I don't mean to diminish like facts in the world that need to be acknowledged and changed. But at the same time, we're, it is still just a different version of participating in a story from a remove. It's just a matter of which one of those stories you buy into and can find yourself enjoying. Did, did you listen to, I hate to be this guy, but did you listen to the uh, Radio Lab, the pro wrestling uh, Radio Lab uh, program that they did, I think, uh, maybe a couple months ago? Um... It was, it was a very, very good one. And it was one, I put it off listening to it because I, I just, I don't know, I wasn't really into like a pro wrestling story, but it just, it was this amazing story about a guy in pro wrestling named Bret Hart. I'll put the link in the show notes for people to listen. But uh, right, right. it was this amazing story and then some really good conversation about what do people like about wrestling. And the thing that people love about wrestling, I mean, people know that it's fake, 
but the modern era of wrestling is characterized by a blending of what's real and what's fake. So real industry behind the scenes drama blended with people fighting on stage. And the fun of the show is picking apart what's real from what's fake. People get a lot of pleasure in finding the authenticity that comes through. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was a big fan of pro wrestling when I was in maybe junior high and knowing that it was, you know, largely theatrical. But um, I think there's a lot, when you look at something, especially like pro wrestling, there's so many layers to it when people say it's fake. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, it is largely scripted. And no, I don't think The Undertaker actually buries people for a living. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Mick Foley is actually insane. But, but then, so when I say there's layers, I am a connoisseur of wrestling documentaries where you can see these folks interviewed. They've really loosened up on kayfabe over the years. So people will, will talk much more freely about this. Even Vince, Vince McMahon will allow these, you know, behind the scenes things. And that, that's like the, that's like the omerta where people don't talk about. Yeah, kayfabe is just the idea that like we, we don't talk about, you know, the fact that this is staged. But I mean, even then there's layers to that. Well, if Vince McMahon, like a notorious like micromanager and <laughs> business fascist is allowing it behind the scenes, well, you can bet that he's also vetting that footage but at the same time, when people say it's fake, well, just go watch, go watch some of the falls these folks take and the very real injuries. And then, like you, like you kind of have alluded to, the way they get sort of screwed in the business and how difficult that is. And um, I don't know if we get that to this extent here, but what I, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to say that Top Chef is some paragon of authenticity, but like my family is currently watching season six, which is my favorite uh, season of the show. Which city is that? Uh, that is in, uh, <laughs> I can remember very clearly it's Las Vegas mm. because Rick, what's his name? Who is like the, par the paragon of sustainable seafood uh, has a restaurant in Las Vegas. Sure. Well, I guess he has a lot of locally sourced cod probably because, <laughs> be because sustainability. Right. Uh, but that's the one with Kevin, uh, the guy with the red beard and you've got Jen uh, Boy, what a, a what a thoroughly competent season! I and I think is that the season where they there was very little like drama among the contestants. They just sort of all came together and they were really nice to each other. That uh, that does happen. I have to say this one. I, I season six works for me for a couple reasons, uh, and, and this really this goes for Project Runway too, where there's the level of competency of the people there. Like, have you deliberately picked some dinglings, uh, you know, just to make it interesting? So here's some of the ones from this season that you'll remember. Uh, oh gosh, the Voltaggio brothers, Brian and Mike. Sure. Uh, you got Jen, who's great, has a total flame out. No spoilers, but uh, you got Preeti. Uh, you got uh, Kevin. Uh, some of the other ones. Oh, you've got. Um, uh, what's his head? Mike, Mike Isabella, mm -hmm. you know, nautical star tattoo guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then you got like Eli, uh, going up against, uh, Robin. Remember Eli and Robin? I'm not your mom. If I was your mom, I would have taught you better manners. <laughs> she says to the guy who lives in his mom's basement, but, uh, literally, but, uh, but it's, it's, I, the reason I like that season is the people are really competent in the case of the Voltaggio brothers. They're, uh, their competition is very real and mm -hmm. palpable. And I don't think you needed to juice it up too much. So there is some drama, but they're also really, really competent. The challenges are not stupid a lot of the time. Sometimes the challenges, it's like watching Chopped. We're like, for, for this challenge, you will have a bowl of oregano, a piece of saran wrap, and a human child. And you'll have to make a... <laughs> you have six minutes. And you're blindfolded. And uh, you, have to cook, you have to cook on a shelf that we've uh, taped to someone's back. <laughs> While humming Flight of the Bumblebee. You can only use the ingredients found in the vending machine in the galley of this old pirate ship. 
Oh, I see. did you see that in the preview for this season? Looks like bugles are on the way. Oh boy, here come the bugles, <laughs> bugles and spam. I do. I love when whenever I haven't um I, I haven't looked through the cast or anything of this season, but I do love like in those first episodes trying to pick out the the dinglings from the lineup, and there are like like Top Chef definitely has a couple of uh sort of uh central casting types of dinglings that they'll put in. So you'll right. sometimes you'll get kind of a hippie chef with gauge piercings who only cooks vegetarian food. And you know that guy's <laughs> on his way out. Right, right. And a weird, some sort of striking facial hair. And my other favorite one is uh, every season has an oaf. And the oaf is just a lovable, huge guy, usually from, you know, down, down home, southern style cooking. Like maybe Ron from Haiti? <laughs> He the oaf always crumbles the first time they have sort of a fine dining challenge. I believe in one of the recent seasons that season's oaf cooked some sort of softball of fish at a baseball stadium. Oh God! <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I don't see what's wrong with this. Back home, everyone loves eating fish balls. <laughs> <laughs> little, little too on the nose. Yeah, no, to totally. You've got you'll have like. Oh, like the pretty girl, like or somebody like somebody who's got, you know, like like really pretty curly hair and glasses or you'll have the the clearly psychotic person. You'll have the person there who thinks they're probably a little bit too highly of themselves and is not there to make friends. Uh, you know, th there's definitely a, a certain formula. And uh, I don't know. Um, I, 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 you know, with the show like this, I, it, I think about my favorite seasons of this and Project Runway, and they do include some big personalities and some very sometimes silly personalities. But, you know, just seeing what people are able to put together under what is probably very real pressure. I mean, the thing that I wonder sometimes if people think about like the production schedule of this show, where it's one thing to say, like, you've got to go through all this stuff and do this quick fire and do this elimination challenge. But you know what? I, I bet they don't get more than a day or two of rest before they come back and do it again. That's how a production schedule would work, right? Yeah. Plus all the flying around and you're in the sponsored Toyota and you've got to go to Whole Foods <laughs> and there's a whole thing. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I want you to draw your inspiration from this baseball field, you know, like that kind of stuff. But, you know, but like I said, that it does come back to as much as I realize that maybe Artifice is heavily produced. I still find myself really drawn to watching, you know, what people choose to do. And I'm, I'm willing to accept that a lot of times that is a story. There's a huge chunk of text that you'll see in the end credits for these shows about the extent, you know, basically saying that the producers, you know, may have had a role in like what happened on the show. And I mean, that's stating it kind of mildly, I'm guessing. But no, I mean, that, 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 that brings me back to this. And it is fun as somebody who, you know, you're going to bite the bullet and watch a TV show, buy into the world. Then you do find yourself, like you say, doing things like identifying which type is this current person going to be and how are they going to show their stuff? And, you know, is this going to be a train wreck? And, I, you know, I really I enjoy the ride. Is there is there something? Um, so I know you and, you and Andy touched on this on your discussion of... Um uh, uh, top dress, uh, as I call top it. dress, runway, uh, runway man, runway man. Um, is there something? What, what is it about? Because I, I also, I love uh, Project Runway. Uh, I just, I actually came to that show really recently, um, and I'm, I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. What can you put your finger on? What it is about Top Chef and Project Runway that 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 speaks to you in a way that other reality shows don't? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I want to hear your response on this too, because I, I, it's interesting what people choose to get into. Like, it, it's funny to me that I can be so highfalutin about this and then find myself watching Shark Tank, where, as I just said to, recently said to Dan <laughs> Benjamin, uh, Mark, Mark Cuban like, looks sometimes like he can't decide whether he just got food poisoning. Like, <laughs> he's still kind of on the bubble. Like, but um, 
But I think, yeah, like I say, I think it does start with the fact that there is something being made. It isn't just the pure artifice of being a show about the show and you go in the little booth and talk to the screen and, you know, and all the kind of, there, there is ultimately, it takes some level of talent, skill, creativity, stick-to-itiveness, all those kinds of things that, you know, that folks admire. Th- that's a big part of it. In the case of Project Runway, it's a little special because I think Tim Gunn is, is such a compelling personality. Such an interesting and like seems like such a decent guy, and I feel like I see so much. He's he's so competent, but also I see all this conflict. I see this basic introvert on this show, and that always is amusing to me. And the same here, where you end up liking or not liking the judges, and you agree or you disagree, or you look at you you know kind of uh, look under a microscope at every decision that gets made and what people do. And I think that just all becomes part of the show and like part of the enjoyment. What what is it that draws you to it? Uh, well, for me, I think um, it's. There's there's a couple of things, but I think the main one is I just really I love watching people who are good at something do that thing, especially the less I know about it, the more kind of magical it is to watch someone really smart or talented just do the thing that they're smart or talented at. Um, and like th- this reminds me of like there was a show, I think it might have been on Discovery Channel um, uh, a while back called uh, Junkyard Warriors. And they would take these sort of tinkerers and bu- builders and drop them in a junkyard and they'd be like. Uh, build a rocket or build a hovercraft and they would just scavenge the junkyard and they were on teams and they would race to build a hovercraft and they would both do it every time and it was amazing to watch because they were bringing you know all of this different technical knowledge and and craftsmanship to bear to do these kind of silly challenges but you know it was it was amazing to watch and a more recent one that I loved uh, also but was much more uh, I don't know produced or or you know just sort of schlocky reality show was uh, a show called The Colony where the idea is like they took this group of people with diverse talents and they dropped them in this sort of abandoned warehouse and it was like they're simulating like a post-apocalyptic scenario. And there was just this one old guy who uh, uh, knew how to build stuff and he built like a wood gasifier and got electricity established and built all this machinery and built a workshop and they had power tools. And it was like just this one guy's, you know, knowing thing knowing you know there's so much stuff about society that i just take for granted that it's there i don't really deeply understand like how electricity is generated or how electronics work and this guy like not only understood it but he was able to like reconstruct society from scratch and you know it, for with nothing with junk uh it's just a cool uh it was just a really uh, a really cool show i love watching that stuff and now, you know, it's, it's for me, it's Top Chef really scratches that itch and um, Project Runway. Although with Project Runway, I also have the problem of never, I'm ama- I never think a dress is bad on Project Runway. I think <laughs> every dress is a, a miracle that they managed to make something in the time that they have and like out of, you know, whatever that week's challenge is. <laughs> right. Like everybody gets a ribbon. Yeah. I feel the same way. The, the other problem with Project Runway is it is so much a matter of taste. Uh, on the one hand, there is the whole matter of taste issue and like not taste, but like preference, if you like. But there's also, I think the, the, the capriciousness of the judges and their personalities has gotten higher and higher over the years on Project Runway, where they're applying different kinds of rules and standards and from week to week. And that's to Mother the Bride, that's to like, you know, figure skating, that's to this, that's to that. And, you know, and some of the challenges on there can be more asinine. But, you know, back to your point, though, about the, I agree with you, watching somebody who loves what they do and is desperately competent at it is always fun. That's always fun to watch. Like, I, I like watching somebody make keys at the hardware store. I was like, man, you're really good at making keys. Like, that's fun. That's fun to watch. Shoe repair. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, somebody who's great at their, at their work. And, I, and I'll tell you where two of, my, two of our family's favorite 
challenge types on the show represent these two ends of the spectrum in some ways. To this point, uh, the mise en place challenge or the, the relay. Yeah. And that's where you really see people who have worked in a kitchen. Like, you know, say what you will about Spike in his dumb hat, but watching Spike, like, clean a roast and, like, make, uh, like, tomahawk chops out of a, out of a rib roast is a, is a miracle to watch. And so, and, but you can see, and, and again, not, not to pile on, but if you haven't had experience with the kitchen, there's a woman this, on that season we were just watching who said something like, she's worked in a kitchen, but she hasn't cooked shrimp in three years. And I was like, what? Like, how do you not cook shrimp for three years? That seems really strange. Uh, people who don't know how to open a clam. Whereas other people, like, uh, what was the one guy? Uh, Mateen, the, <laughs> the French guy with the red scarf. Mm -hmm. Like, that guy could tear into a lobster like crazy. You could just see, like, the way that would shred my hands. So I love, I love the mise en place challenge because watching how people prepare the food to me shows a lot of expertise with working in a kitchen. The other one we really like at the other end of the spectrum, personally, I don't like team challenges hardly ever, ever. That's where you always play up the drama. Somebody gets thrown under the bus, has to be, you know, somebody's got to go home. But I also really like, I do like uh, Restaurant Wars, I have to say. I have a soft spot for Restaurant Wars. Well, and that to me, this is like the special magic of top chef is you know being a chef is not just knowing how to cook shrimp that's being a cook but being a chef is being a leader and being a business person and knowing how to uh, organize people and make you know you, you can't have one person running a restaurant so being a chef is understanding how to take a, an array of like talented but difficult people and having them produce your singular creative vision it's sort of this like uh isn't it like that that like uh, Stanley Kubrick quote like the 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 uh, film director is the last like dictatorial post in American business or something like that? Right. I hope I didn't butcher that. But I think but I think that's to me like that's what's cool about that's what I love about Restaurant Wars uh, is you really get to see both sides and you know it's very rare that you have a contestant who knows how to do the the business side you know they're a true chef and and you know they also know how to do the uh, the cooking side. And that's also where they do when they do the huge catering challenges where it's like, you know, take this budget and feed, you know, 500 people, you know, if you make 500 portions, that's where people will really shine there too, because it's about stretching your dollar and understanding how to portion food and, and really thinking at scale. Oh yeah. Those, the catering type things always just make my blood run cold. It's just, it's, it's so difficult to do food at scale or, you know, or, or as with restaurant wars where, you know, you've got to do a, a turnover of a bunch of people and different kinds of orders. Have you ever worked in food service or worked in a kitchen? I have not. Uh, only very recently, you know, I've, I've gotten really into cooking and gotten really into food. And, um, you know, as uh, uh, some of my friends have restaurants and I've like worked a shift in their restaurant or worked a station in their restaurant, but it was purely you know, like an indulgence, like I wasn't, uh, it wasn't a job. I've never had a job in food for all the horrible jobs I've had. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, I was a busboy in high school. <clears throat> I was a waiter for maybe half a year in college. Uh, and I've done my, my parents owned a restaurant when I was a kid and, uh, I've worked in various kinds of like short jobs as like, like below a prep cook, like the guy who helps make the baked potatoes and as a dishwasher, uh, someday I'll tell you the story of when I worked in an English restaurant where, where they said because they're English, they don't have to pay minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was 14. It was my first job, and I had no idea how to respond to that because I, I didn't have any legal precedence. I mean, I don't know. Magna Carta, uh, it seems like you should probably pay me. But, oh, wait you know. a minute. Oh, we, we can't just gloss over this. What kind of restaurant <laughs> did your parents own? Uh, they owned a steakhouse at a country club in Florida. 
My stepfather had been a uh, restaurateur in Cincinnati, had owned probably 30 different restaurants, chili restaurants, mostly steakhouses. He co-owned a steakhouse. Well, I say co-owned. He had a steakhouse with a, a retired Cincinnati Reds player named Ted Kluzewski. And so basically Kluzewski was the name, but it was Jack. That uh, was Jack and Clue's Steakhouse. And uh, he was an awful human being, but made a really good steak <laughs> and awesome ribs. But, you know, the thing is, he was a terrible human being. But uh, they had a restaurant, yeah, at, in a retirement community. It was really, really challenging. So, you know, my, my I, I mean, I guess you can call that a job. I got tipped out a little bit. But when I was home from military school on the weekends when I was 13 or 14, uh, 12 or 13, I should say, I was um, a busboy there. Wow. Then my first, like, job, yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, this, this is going somewhere. It was like, so then my first like, kind of real job, like where I had to go somewhere, was working in this English restaurant that had just opened in Pasco County, Florida. And uh, long story short, it was, it was horribly run, uh, English, English cuisine, really. And, and so, but I would go there, and I thought I was being hired as a busboy. But the, basically, I was a dishwasher and prep cook and everything all around plongere. I was like linguine. And then they'd go, uh, uh, table needs to be bust. Put on this bow tie. <laughs> and I'd do that. <laughs> Right, I, I, I don't even think it was two hundred one an hour. I think it might be two hundred one an hour, but it was, it was, it was terrible. But the thing is, the interesting thing about all of these is every every restaurant I've ever worked in, um, not even including stuff like McDonald's, but like every like r- real restaurant I've worked in, one thing is uniform, which is that it is crazy, and it is high pressure. It is often very unexpected. The challenges that you face running and working in a restaurant will frequently surprise you. And uh, a lot of the people who work there were at least very colorful all the way to completely freaking insane. <laughs> I've worked with so many of the most unhinged individuals in my life in a kitchen. Uh, and the challenge of putting that all together to something where somebody who's you know sitting there gets a plate of food that they're thrilled with, it's extraordinary. Like just running all that stuff, dealing with the Cisco orders, dealing with the coked up bartender, dealing with the hostess, putting up the no, no smoking sign, all the stuff you've got to do every day. It's like there's always more to do just to maintain like being able to put food out, let alone having it be good. So, I mean, that's one part of the show I feel is not over dramatized is that there is an extraordinary amount of pressure and big personalities uh, in every, every restaurant. I think anytime you have that collision of an art, you know, an artistic vision like a you know one person's artistic uh, ideal that requires a huge team of people working in perfect coordination to achieve like you really have that it's like that collision of the human skills and the technical skills and the vision coming together and i mean wh- i mean only crazy people are interesting are interested in doing that i mean that's like that's to me that's this you know when i think about um trying to understand like the legacy of steve jobs that's the that's the magic to me. It's like, well, I, of course he was an asshole. Lots of people are assholes. But like, how did this guy bring together this huge group of incredibly talented people and make them execute his artistic vision in a way that very few people who have ever lived have been able to do? I totally agree. I mean, it's one of those things where you have to really want it or you have to be pretty crazy or both. I mean, because think about this. I think about certain kinds of foods uh, in which I will include, mm, I'm going to say definitely burritos. Maybe Chicago dogs. Maybe there, there are a variety of kinds of foods, though, that I, I would rather get from a restaurant uh, because they'll do it better than I will. And a lot of the time, they'll do it in a less costly and much less messy way than I would. I mean, when's the last time you made, like, homemade burritos? I mean, you'll spend 25 bucks to make burritos. It's not hard to spend money to make burritos. So think about when you go to a place and you get a burrito for four or five bucks. I mean, the margins on that stuff are not high. So that's, that's the other part of this is, and <laughs> this is where actually I left out one really, uh, 
Oh, God. Uh, I started watching old seasons of Kitchen Nightmares, Mm -hmm. which is a lot better than I expected. I think I've mostly seen Gordon Ramsay looking very coked up and having his little forelock fly around on MasterChef. It's that that one crazy vein in his head that I can't handle. Does he, he 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 seems like he's just had a lot of cocaine and doesn't feel good about it. You know, it's just playing it off legit. But the funny part is, though, I have to say that watching that show, which does make me a little uncomfortable, the English version of it, I think, is even better. But the restaurants that are on there are much more like the restaurants that I have familiarity with, where it's like, well, we've got this food and it's probably still good. It's been in the walk-in for a while. You know, let's make it into Veal Oscar or whatever. You know, there's always this need. You know, you've got to figure out that, you know... <laughs> If you haven't figured it out yet, folks, the special of the day is something that they have a lot of and need to get rid of, and that's why it's cheaper. But that economic piece always comes into it. You talk about it as this artistic vision, but that is the other part of it. It's like the, the economics of it are just nuts. Like what it costs to run a restaurant is sometimes very surprising. And it's, it's, it's perhaps not surprising that so many go out of business because it is a very tough, high-energy, costly business. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, so when you watch, when you're looking forward to a season of this coming out, what are, you, what, are you, what are you looking forward to? And what are you looking forward to know whether it's a season you'll be excited about? That's, a, that's, an, interesting, that's an interesting question. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'd go into a season of uh, Top Chef with, uh, with a lot of expectations. I think, um, you know, I think the thing that I'm interested in, like the thing that draws me to a, to a Top Chef or a, or a Top Dress um, is I like uh, I like seeing so I like when they when the people are given uh, a challenge and it's like a seemingly impossible challenge. Um, I like how I like watching the process of starting with nothing and going to something and then seeing it get executed. So uh, I don't know. It's like there's not I don't know that I could point to like a like a single aspect of a season of like oh the contestants are really crazy or the setting is really good it's just the right combination of factors like for me the the chicago season i really love because that was the the first uh, richard blaze season oh right that was terrific it was just a good it was the right people it was good challenges it was i mean i think i think that's a a pretty well liked season of um of top chef but you know i was um i I was having a conversation with my friend uh, a game designer in new york named zach gage and we were sort of talking about um does about the temperament of uh he's also he's a a designer we're talking about like the unique temperament of designers and there zach has this idea that design is a a weird kind of problem solving because you're starting with a problem and there is no correct solution to the problem and design is just sort of picking a solution and then following it through to to completion even though you know in your heart that it's not the correct solution it's just one that you picked Wow, that's super interesting, isn't it? And yeah, um, and that's is. also interesting. I mean, I, I'm also kind of a philosophy nerd, and I think there's some parallels to, and I, which I, I think you are as well. And I think there's some parallels of philosophy there because it's like you know, philosophy is all about just asking a well phrased question about a problem. You're not even trying to come up with a solution. You're usually just gonna you know look stupid in a few years uh, if you <clears throat> you know if you have some like system or solution in philosophy so there's just something i mean i i don't know uh uh there's some there is that personality type of someone who just has that sort of fearlessness of they're willing they care enough about a problem or a creative process that they're willing to like look into the void and see that darkness in themselves and and be like there is nothing here and i'm at peace with that and then make something in the face of that welcome back to project food with Werner Herzog. <laughs> When I stand to the pot, I feel like I'm staring into the deepness of a soul. 
pack your knives. <laughs> there is, I mean, there is something, ter- there's something terrifying. Like, who wants to do that with their time? Who would go on a game <laughs> right. to do that every day? I mean, you just gradually, I think it just kind of drives you crazy. Uh, but I'm just really, inter- I'm really interested in it. And then seeing, you know, I'm a huge Richard Blaze fan. Uh, I love, I just, he's probably my, I mean, I think for a lot of people, he's, he's like their favorite uh, you know, recurring uh, figure on the show. End of that season was heartbreak to me. Oh yeah, well he got his redemption in uh, in the Masters. Yeah, but I mean, it, it really when you get to the end of that, I hate to spoil it. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> it was what year was this? This is uh, 2008. Yeah, it's just that he had been so strong all season, and it, it it felt weird. His like whatever implosion seemed really improbable. But haven't you? But haven't you been there? Of 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 you know? I mean, it's like it's like that thing where it's like here's the thing that you're really good at, and the stakes are really high, and it's your time to do it, and you choke. I've had that. I have that all the time. Oh, that's kind of the story of my life. Yeah. It's horrifying. I mean, I've, I've been, you know, giving a talk or something about a topic that I know about. And I'm, as I'm giving the talk, I'm like, I'm choking. This is horrible. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's something people go through, but what do you do? You get back up you, the next day and you figure, you know, you, you do your thing. Yeah. And I, I'm super interested in what you're saying. Um, because it, I don't know, it, it keys into a lot of my, my own obsessions and interests, especially in the stuff that Dan and I talk about on uh, the Back to Work podcast, uh, where I am fascinated and terrified and just very interested in um, expertise and experience because it, it feels so ineffable. Like when you see somebody who's great at what they do, well, yeah, you can go, hey, you know, that person's really great at what they do. Well, how do they get great at what they do? Is that, you know, it, oh, it took a lot of time. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's just, there's so much to it. And one of the basic problems of expertise, and you can attack this from a million different angles, uh, I have phrased it as, you're not gonna know what you need to know in order to know what you need to know. It's very difficult, which sounds like, you know, Chico Marx, but I think it's true. Yeah, a little Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> How am I going to find out what I don't find out? If you don't find out what I got to find out. Uh, it's very difficult to know what you're going to need to know until you know what you need to know. That it's, it's hard to even, to, your, to use your words, it's hard to know what questions to ask unless you've spent a lot of time around something. And it isn't until you've spent a lot of time around something and until you know the right kinds of questions to ask. And this evidences itself in a million ways on, on Top Chef. For example, you'll see people who, you know, you get the sense that they're like, they're more than a home cook. You know, it's more than somebody that would be on, you know, MasterChef or whatever. It's somebody who's, who's worked in a restaurant, but they don't have, it seems like they maybe don't have the years and the experience under their belt in order to be able, boy, you really see this on Project Runway, where you see people who may or may not have the ability to envision what this thing will look like when it's done quickly and efficiently. So to be able to say, like, I already, I, when I draw this dress, it's not just a neat idea that I've sketched. This is the outline of things that I'm going to make in the physical world. I've done this enough times. And I, I mentioned on, on the show with Andy that I felt Candace was great at that the last season on Project Runway, where you could tell that she didn't have to, like, carefully place these things on the mannequin to see what it would look like. It was like in her head she had already made the dress. And now it was the implementation details of making that this way, given these constraints. And boy, do you ever see that on Top Chef, where your ambitions to go like, you know, oh, you like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to make this, uh, you know, charred fennel, even though I've never charred fennel before. Like, we'll see how that goes. There are people who somehow, with something as crazy as, uh, you know, developing these flavors, as they like to say, to be able to know that given these time constraints, given these ingredients, given these things, there's some impossible calculus that's running in that person's head that enables them to see this as not only doable, but potentially great. And that's what's amazing to watch. So, you know, when you see the people who are able to then, or like recover from like the pot that got dumped over, what are they going to do instead? Well, I don't have the sauce anymore. 
And again, time, 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 time. There's always time. So I, I agree with you. I think it's great to watch somebody who's great at what they do and to watch somebody who's experienced and expertise. Oh, then the last part is the confidence to implement, right? So in all the things we're talking about, whatever kind of work you're doing, getting through that dark night of the soul and the, the Werner Herzog uh, pot full of black and being able to like actually get the thing done. As, as John Cleese says, the worst time to think about you know, jumping is when you're in the middle of jumping between two cliffs. That's the worst time to decide whether you want to jump between two cliffs. You got to just do it. And, and that, that implementation drive is what makes you kind of love certain characters is you just stick with them. Even if they got a bum challenge and like, it's a, it's not their, their, their fort, like they will find some way to make it great and then sell it. Well, should we uh, take a quick break and talk about our uh, sponsor for this episode? Uh, we will. Uh, we can cleanse our palate. So our sponsor uh, for Top Scallops this week is uh, our friends at Backblaze. Uh, Backblaze is a service. I'm almost certain I heard about Backblaze because you were talking about it at some point on a podcast, Merlin. And I use this thing on every computer I have, and it is a lifesaver. Uh, Backblaze is an unlimited, unthrottled backup service for your Mac or PC. It allows you to access your data anywhere, and it's absolutely brilliant. The way it works is it's just this tiny little app. It runs in your system tray and it silently backs up all of your files overnight. So you ne- you literally never have to think about it and you never have to do anything or worry about backups at all. Uh, Backblaze was founded by ex-Apple engineers and it runs uh, with a native app on your Mac or PC. It's completely seamless and uh, I, I just like the user experience of this thing is completely frictionless. Uh, even to the point of when you need to restore your files, you can get one, if you have like a uh, lost file, you screw something up, you can just pull one file off using their web tool. Or if you lose like your entire computer, it's stolen or broken, or you uh, spill a grande chai tea latte on your MacBook Pro, as I might have done, you can have <laughs> Backblaze mail you a USB hard drive with all of your files on it, uh, and you can just plug that in and you're up and running again. Uh, and they also have uh, iPhone and Android apps, so you can access all of your files on the go. and uh, probably the best part about Backblaze is it is extremely straightforward and simple. There's no add-ons or gimmicks or other stuff that they sell. It's just $5 a month per computer, and that gives you unlimited backups. And finally, Backblaze is offering a free trial for listeners of the Top Scallops podcast, which is available at backblaze.com scallops. It's a great deal. I, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. It's, you know, those are so many great bullets, but here's what you need to know. You flip this thing on, you give them 5 bucks a month, and then forget about it. And it just takes care of it for you. And it just, it just works in the background. And it, having that confidence of a little, little bit of suspenders to go with your belt is a really nice feeling to know that that's being taken care of for you. And, you know, it's the experience. The nice part about the experience is there's not really much experience to it. You turn it on and it works. And when you need it, it's there. It's dependable. If you've got external hard drives plugged in, it'll work with that. If you've got, you know, for example, uh, recipes for making a chai grande latte mochaccino, <laughs> if you've got those backed up in your text files, that's all. Anything that's plugged in your computer is going to work fine. It's a terrific deal, and uh, I, I can highly recommend them. Uh, I I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about Backblaze as I was like writing out the ad thing, and I don't know that there's almost any piece of technology in my life that is works as with like as little friction and works correctly as much as Backblaze does. Like it really saw a hundred percent solved the problem of backups for me. To the point where I don't ever think about it or question it. It just, it's there when I need it. And speaking of experience and expertise, this ends up being the kind of topic where this won't matter to you until it's too late. And I, I don't want to sound, I'm not trying to throw FUD here, but that's, that's the thing is that like on the day when you need this, if you paid for it for five years and never needed it, on the day when you do need it, you're not going to believe what a bargain it was. So, you know, the, this is one of those things where like 
save yourself from your future self. Stop making future mistakes by doing this now. Can I ask you a question? Yes. How do you, how do you feel about the team challenges? Am, am I alone in this? Like, I got mixed feelings about it. Mostly not good. But I want to know what you think. Team well, challenges. So what happens is you got, you, they arbitrarily usually pick out teams. They got to make something together. And then you always get to the point where there has to be credit or blame to members of a team. I guess I'm tipping my, my hand already. But how do you feel about team challenges? Uh, they don't bother me as much as they bother you. Uh, my one of my favorite tropes that will ha- that happens on both uh, Top Chef and Top Dress is when the when they get to pick their own teams, and you sort of wind up with uh, the All Stars versus the uh, the Bad News Bears. <laughs> you, you get the Washington Generals versus the. Ah, uh, he's using a ladder. <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, and uh, I, of course the Bad News Bears win because their egos aren't in it, and and they can work together, and the expectations are lower, and uh, you know almost every time they. Um, they, they eke out a victory, and I always enjoy watching that. The one I'll say the one I'll tell you the one thing that uh, that bugs me about the 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 the, the Top Chef thing is I I, I always um I, in Restaurant Wars I really feel I have I guess I don't fully understand how it's very it seems very hard to me to compare the person who does front of house to the pr- people in the back of the kitchen who are cooking, and I feel like front of the house. Uh, rarely gets recognized for going well, and they usually wind up taking the blame for for yeah, any. Yeah, something they have to half half ass their dish, or have somebody else help them with it. Right. Yeah, no, that that happens. That happens a lot. It's funny. The restaurant wars. Uh, oh, you know, let me mention one thing in passing, and that which should be mentioned in much more than passing. I'm very happy to say, I think every season, I believe every season is available on Hulu. So if you want to go back and catch up and watch some Top Chef. Uh, just, just so you know, there's like mini, mini seasons, full seasons, full episodes of Top Chef on Hulu. I will, uh, I'll put the link to that in our show notes. And Hulu, by the way, who do you do the Hulu thing where oh, you pay yeah. them to not have ads? Oh, you bet your butt I do. Oh, what a great, it's like my, the best $7 I ever spent in my oh, life. Oh, it's, it's a completely different world. And now they got Adventure Time on there too. They have Adventure Time, they got Shark Tank, they got, <laughs> no, they have mini shows. My daughter loves it. They've got tons of great Cartoon Network shows. And, uh, we, um... Yeah, there's something something special about television commercials that really get under my skin. Podcast ads, I don't <laughs> mind so much. Uh, like even like I, I'll take ads on the web over TV commercials, but there's something about the like, yeah, whatever nature of ads on Hulu in particular that just drives me crazy. Where it just feels like there was a meeting where somebody's like, this is really too cool to have for this price, so we should kind of screw it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like those people who are like, yeah, pay $5 a month and you don't have to see ads. It's like, wow, you really believe in your ads, don't you? That's great. Uh, yeah. But but no, but anyway, the point being, uh, you can check it out. I, I Seasons, we've just talked about two two seasons that are awfully good. Uh, Chicago but, and the one you're watching. Season four Vegas. in Chicago. Yeah, okay. is really good. Season six in Las Vegas, I think very good. Um, there was one, the All-Star season with yeah you know what uh season eight was good too the all the all-star season because it got well, you got blaze you got jen uh you got carla oh i love carla remember uh, carla Car- carla's a delight she's so great you got spike uh you got dale oh dale remember dale sure D- dale would freak out dale Punch has the occasional wall. freakouts fabio is back <clears throat> oh marcel is back the, yeah, the, that was the a good Top season. Chef All Stars, where the they have the uh, Ellis Island um, episode, is prob. I think that's probably the best episode of Top Chef, and they don't send anyone home at the end of it. Spoiler alert. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'm trying to remember that one. They had to cook their heritage, and they brought in um, 
uh, like uh, you know one of those like ancestry kind of websites. Oh, and I, right. I wound up that uh, Mike Isabella and um, one of the other final four, whose name I can't remember, uh, was they were related. Oh right, yeah. Just a, it was just a wonderfully like human, authentic uh, episode. Everybody cooked their hearts out, and the food looked unbelievable. And they didn't send anyone home because the there the, you know there wasn't anything sent sent home a ball. I'm on record as being generally against that. Oh, uh, I love it. I love it. I wish they would do it. I wish <laughs> half the episodes they wouldn't send someone home. Well, yeah. I guess what I wish is that. Yeah, I wish it was more often just about the food. When it gets to be too much drama, too much manufactured drama, yeah, it gets a little silly. Although, you know, anything that makes Marcel look bad, you know, that's fun. Here's here's a question for you. I often find watching um, uh, Project Runway that too, I feel like for my taste, too much time is spent on the runway and the judging. It's about half of, there's no, you know, quick fire on uh, Project Runway. So about half of the episode is the runway show and the, the various stages of the judging. Uh, and on Top Chef, it's much less. It's maybe a quarter of the show is shown on the uh, presentation of the food and the judging. That's a really good point. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, so you do get, I think you get more... Cooking okay, time. You get more action in Top Chef. Yeah. I think it's. Uh, I think that's probably because it's more dynamic on camera. Like, you know, it's more exciting to watch people in the kitchen it's more different from week to week than you know watching people stitch or or you know work in the in the workshop um but uh do you feel like those ratios are right like i would be happy if it was cut down to half of what there already was of of the judging that's a really good point i think there may be a couple one pretty salient reason and that's because a lot of their sponsorship happens in that time ah. right you've got the you got to use the uh use the accessory wall thoughtfully uh, and philosophically, we have uh, uh, Jen uh, from uh, Cars and I are, are uh, she's my my uh, top dress uh, friend in the office. And we, we were watching the season together and we have like this fantasy of somehow sponsoring one of those things for top dress. So we could have like, <laughs> the Cards Against Humanity bathroom. <laughs> Tim Gunn would come out and be like, now, please remember to use the uh, Cards Against Humanity bathroom uh, very responsibly, very thoughtfully. <laughs> what if you had the, the Cards Against Humanity top dress flame out hallway? <laughs> Like when the person freaks out and starts running down the hallway and punching cameras. <laughs> brought to you by Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, they could like CGI our logo onto under the under the hallway, right over their face. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we were talking about the the, the team challenge part. Uh, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Is that is it? You know, I I don't I don't hate it. I guess what I the thing is I there is this uh, kind of the great man theory of Top Chef where I do like the idea that it is. The, it is what the chef has made and how they react to the food, at least in the conceit of the show, is what makes the dish, you know, stand or fall. The decision making, like, oh, did you decide to spend all your time on this foam at this pool party where it was going to melt anyway? Like all that kind of stuff that, that feeds into the judges' decisions. My problem with the, I think my problem is that the, the team challenges on any of these shows tend to play up the drama. Part of that is it's early, usually earlier in the season. They've got to like get more accomplished in the amount of airtime available. Uh, and I'll get back to your question in a second. Is it my, my problem with that though is then when you get to the runway time or to the, the final tastings time is that there's always like somebody that has to be the goat. 
And like, I feel like, oh, like on those kinds of challenges, that's, that's again, just playing into more of the drama stuff. So that's, mm. just to be clear, that's, that's my objection there. Hmm. Uh, and your question was about... Um, oh, the, just in general. I mean, I feel like it's a, it's a related question of like, you know, it's just the balance of... Oh, the time, the, people, the time. Watching yeah, yeah, the yeah. people do their thing versus the sort of the judging, the critique of it. That's a really, that's a really good question. And I think Top Chef does it better and well. Because, uh, you know, the thing is, I like the whole, like, let's go to Whole Foods thing. I like the running around with the carts. I think that's fun. The coming up with the menus and stuff like that. I feel like that's, yeah, sh sh having more time for that stuff uh, is is important. And, you know, it's just, it is interesting, though, because you start with however many, like, what, 12, 14, 16 people, and then you get down to the three or four. Like, that's a lot of coverage in those early episodes because you're also trying to build, you know, the personalities. Yes. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I think I think Project Runway could be better at that. So my, my friend uh, Kevin Pang is a food writer for the Chicago Tribune, and he's actually um, taking off from the Tribune, and he posted this wonderful article uh, to, uh, actually uh, this afternoon called... Uh, that was what a I, great article. <laughs> did you, wasn't, that, wasn't that fantastic writing advice? Yeah, I read it. it was fa I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to print it out and memorize it. There's so much I can learn from that article. Um, but it was, uh, it was called uh, What I've Learned in 11 Years Working at the Chicago Tribune, and he had just had this one specific piece of advice for food writers. He said, uh, for food writers... Uh, when you first start reviewing restaurants, you'll think that mediocre food is awful and decent food is amazing. It's easy and dangerous to exaggerate your opinions, but that doesn't strengthen your writing. Actually, it does nobody any favors. And I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, I think maybe that's one of the reasons that, that the more protracted judging tends to get under my skin is like, is, I mean, is it, is it really like that life or death that someone didn't put enough salt on their dish or, you know, it's like, it's just the these tiny little flaws are get exaggerated into uh, commentary on this entire person's character. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess that's part of the drama of the show, but there's a, there's a quote I, I should commit to memory, but um, I don't. And it's, it was Roger Ebert talking about how he looks at movies and it's been influential on me, but he said something along the lines of, you know, he, when he's figuring out, is it, you know, how many stars, one to four stars, thumb up or down or whatever that I think one of, uh, Ebert's criteria was, you know, did this movie accomplish what it sought to accomplish? It's it's not what it's about. It's how it's about it. Yeah. And I, I think about that a lot now. And I think about that e even on Top Chef, which is, you know, just because you've chosen to make a famously difficult dish, you have to look at it in, in all those different contexts. Like, you know, was it, you know, <laughs> we just watched the challenge where they did a bachelorette party and a bachelor party Ugh, where they had to find foods that would pair with shots. <laughs> <laughs> they started out by having a shot tasting, and they're like, oh, what are you going to do to make, make something that's yummy with a shot of Moscow Mule? <laughs> like, oh, tell me more. That's, you know, but that, that's part of the competition. It's like I'm trying to teach my kid, like, always read the instructions at the top of the page before you start the homework. I know you think you know what this is, but it pays to read the instructions, not just because you want to make sure you're giving them what they asked for, but you will get so many clues about how, you know, you, obviously you learn this when you take the SAT, but you will learn so much about how to answer these questions by listening very carefully to the instructions. And I think, I think that, that stands you in good stead here. To find out how they want you to be about this, listen to the inst instructions and, and take it in context. I, I think that ends up having a big role 
gosh, and I don't know about Top Chef, but definitely in life. Like, make sure you read the instructions. Yeah, and, and that, I mean, to me, that, like, synthesizes so much of what I what I get out of Top Chef and what I, what I like about it. And, and, you know, it also speaks to this idea of, like, people, you're seeing these really smart, really technically savvy people confront, you know, that void of not knowing what to make. And there's actually a whole piece of it that, that I left out, which is it's not just, um, you know, they're not to bring together the people skills, the technical skills. It's also knowing themselves. It's like knowing your own constraints and capabilities well enough to look at this crazy challenge and be like, here's what I can do. Here's realistically what I can do. And knowing, you know, I don't know, that just takes some pretty honest self-reflection in a way that's frankly pretty uncomfortable and unpleasant sometimes to be aware of your own constraints. Oh, it's, it's 100% true because I think you're, you're describing self-knowledge, like yeah. knowing what your own kind of bad tendencies are, knowing which Warner Herzog black pots you tend to look into, and then being aware that, you know, how often does your reach exceed your grasp? And are you able to, um, are you able, are you able to account for you know, what the challenge that's been presented to you is, what you think your capabilities are to do it, and then how to surprise people in a way they didn't expect. So did you, you know, in the case of like, again, with uh, with uh, top dress, like, does the thing fit? No matter how great that dress is, if it doesn't fit on the person, it's not going to work well. And no matter how ambitious your plan is for making this incredibly sensitive dish, if it has to be wrapped up in, uh, sponsored by Glad, put on a cart... <laughs> And taken to another county where there's going to be a pool party. Like, if that's not going to work in that context, then you're not going to do great at the challenge. Did you really showcase the Philadelphia cream cheese? Yeah, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so much glad wrap. Oh, my goodness. Did, uh, you know, I, this is, I don't know why, this is reminding me of that. Uh, are you watching this season of Adventure Time? <laughs> you bet. Steaks, baby. Steaks. Woo! So good. Uh, and I love that episode, the episode where, uh, or maybe may it been a, uh, it may have actually been at the la at the end of last season, but where Betty is uh, uh, with uh, Magic Man, and she says uh, all magic users uh, float in the loomy gloom of uh, magical madness and sadness. Wow! Did you do that from memory? Oh yeah, <sighs> I love Betty. Isn't that? I mean, but isn't that it though? I mean, it, that's the creative struggle. Is the uh, it's you know the magical madness and sadness. I, I think there are certain patterns you tend to see in people who are awfully good at what they do. One thing is that people who are great at what they do are not always happy people. Um, it's one thing to to become comfortable in your skin, um, but you know, there's. I'm always very skeptical about people who uh, are always like, "Oh, learn from your failures," and this and that. It's like, well, people who are willing to talk about learning from their failures are frequently past that failure, and now they can feel really good about pumping themselves up and you know, be looking like a serial entrepreneur. Right. Writing the, uh, the cultish medium post of like the, mo <sighs> the most wonderful thing has happened. We failed. Oh, brothers, <laughs> let's, let's, let's rejoice. Our amazing journey. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think that you can see this in some of the best chefs on this show is I think again, somebody like Jen, who obviously has, has a lot going on under the hood. Um, I think that uh, there's this sense of, you know, doing, like this incredible job as well as you can today, but also accepting that you've got to do it again tomorrow. And it doesn't matter how good it was today. It's the sense that you're going to keep coming back and plowing every day. And I mean, it becomes this really boring thing that your, your parents told you when you were a kid that you can call it work ethic, ethic, ethic or uh, <clears throat> grit, stick to whatever dumb au courant name you want to give it. But it's somebody who doesn't feel like their success or failure in a given day has a long run impact on what they're doing. You start to see it as this much longer game. And I think those are the people who become very good at what they do, 
who per- perhaps become very successful at they do at what they do and maybe in the best of circumstances become happy about what they do but like i think we tend to mix up now it's turning into a different show but i think people <laughs> people mix up those qualities in a way that's really unhealthy where just because you're not having fun with what you're doing when you're learning something doesn't mean you're not growing and getting better at it you know you've got to like again to to quote the great uh, jake you know, the first step toward, you know, sucking. Anyway, whatever. It takes a long time to stop sucking at something. It takes a very long time and a lot of work. And uh, I think you see that with some of these folks, where some of the people who are the, the best cooks on this show also do have a certain amount of self-doubt. And uh, I think that can make you great at what you, greater at what you do. You know, it's the ones who are convinced that, like, they've got the best version of anything ever made that are not only kind of uninteresting and inauthentic characters, but don't always make the best dishes. There has to be this sense, like, I, I could always do this better. You know, how can, I, how can I thrive in a way nobody expected in this case? Well, I think that's, I think that's probably a pretty good place to uh, wrap up in anticipation of uh, starting this season of Top Chef. So we're going to try and put these out in such a way that you will have hopefully have had an opportunity to watch it uh, when, the, when the episode comes out. And, you know, we'd love it if people would uh, follow along with us. Yeah, we'll. Uh, so what we'll what I'll do is uh, uh, why don't we why don't we why don't we do this? Let's why don't we tell people how to sort of follow uh, some good ways to follow along with with us and with the show, and we'll kind of keep people up to date on the schedule. But I'm I'm th- it's looking to me like um, it's probably going to be a Friday. Uh, the show will come out on Friday after we've had a chance to watch it on uh, iTunes. Yep. Uh, so um, I, I, I so the best probably the best way to to stay up to date with uh, what I'm doing is uh, on Twitter, uh, and I'll put uh, the links to uh, Merlin and I's uh, Twitter accounts uh, in the uh, show notes, which are going to be available for this episode and every episode at topscallops.tv. Wait a minute. You bought a domain? Oh, boy, did I. <laughs> that is so cool. I almost bought topscala.ps, but it was like 120 bucks, so I just got .tv. <laughs> That's so perfect. So people can go there and there'll be uh, links to where they can subscribe and follow along with us. That is correct. And uh, I will also, Merlin, is there anything, where, where, what's the best way for people to stay up with your work? I, mean, I would suggest not doing that. Uh, if you're really insistent, you could follow me on Twitter where I'm Hot Dogs Ladies. But uh, following along with the show on the, on the gosh, our, our own bespoke website, Max, this is big time. We have a, a whole web, web page on the internet. Could we, uh, could we also thank the other folks who are working on the show with us? Yes, absolutely. So a uh, bit huge, big, Major thanks to producer Alex uh, for scheduling this and uh, editing and um, uh, making this thing, taking it from uh, just a crazy Skype call into something that our audience can actually listen to. And uh, thank you also to uh, our friend Seth Boyer, uh, who did all of the music that you heard in this episode, and also to our friend Kevin Budnick, who did the wonderful uh, little drawing of us uh, in our uh, chef's togues. All right, I guess uh, let's wrap it up. Good week. Good work, everybody. Let's button it up. Take a, take a 20 out of petty cash. <laughs> Woo! All right. Out of the bell. Hey! No, I'll put it, put it far away. It's far away. I can't even reach it. No, I love the bell. Ah, maybe, I'll get a, maybe I'll get a variety of uh, slide whistles, and uh, I think we already have a gong in the office. <laughs> Go full, full morning zoo. All right. Pack your knives. No, you didn't. Yes, he did. I can't believe she said that. <laughs>